Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? How's everything going out there? Mm. Mm. Are we on the thing? Yeah. No. Oh, we're on. Um, things are good. Things are good. Things are all right. Mm. Mm. <sighs> how are you? Good. Mm. There's a uh, Sanskrit word. You're probably familiar with hangover. <laughs> might be Polly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if we should explore that. <laughs> Midnight storm. Hmm. <laughs> Reverend Al Green. Mr. Barry White. Do I sound do I sound mellifluous? You sound a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I must have yelled at somebody. I'll find out. <laughs> It'll all be in the filings, I'm sure. Uh, I had a friend, some friends in town. <clears throat> so I uh, visited with them last night. And now here I am. I mean some uh, I mean some chicken. <clears throat> I got with a fork and I got a big snapple lemon tea. Sound weird. I can change it. You want me, you want me to uh, turn it on, turn it off? No, no, not weird like that. Weird like you. Oh. Oh, like I'm not myself? Like your voice is weird. Like it's Give me a second. Somebody <clears throat> doing a weird impersonation of you. Okay, let me hang on. <clears throat> let me get a sip of this. Hi, can I ask you a question? <laughs> it still doesn't sound right. Hi, I'm Merlin Mann. Can I ask you a question? You sound w- older and wiser. <laughs> can I ask you a question? <laughs> Have you ever had a lot of grilled chicken that you've wanted to eat? No plastic fork? Too many plastic forks? Wondering what the chicken was thinking? Before you answer, can I ask you a question? Hi. <laughs> Have you ever tried to talk to a chicken? Before you answer, let me ask you another question. What if the chicken was not in the room with you and you were using two hands to literally eat other chickens? Hi. Chicken Bluetooth. Mm. How are you doing? I'm actually, I'm actually really good. I had a good time. Um, I had a good time. Who was it that was out there? I don't remember. I had a really good time and I feel good. And, um, um, I actually, uh, I prepared a little for today. Not a lot, not, not a lot, but you work so hard, Dan, and you do so much. I thought I would try and have a template. These are the worst shows when you prepare too much. See, here's the thing. I didn't really prepare. I just, I just, I did a lot of typing just a minute ago. I was eating my chicken with a fork. It's good. You can go into the, the uh, place, the burrito place around here. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Is that the one on second? No, no. I think you're thinking the one over on Briar. Two? Um, <laughs> pool, a pond, an enchilada. Hi. Hola. Anyway, uh, so what's it called? It's called El Burrito uh, Express. Like, don't be creepy. But anyway, so it's this burrito place. It's not bad for a sunset burrito. And they've been there for a pretty long time. I think the lady who owns it has decided to do a heavy, like she's read some books, maybe like uh, so, social media para lost dummies. And she's, so now she's trying to get everybody to call it. First of all, you got to call it EBX. It's not El Burrito Express anymore. Now it's EBX. And you got to follow them on Facebook. And she's giving everything funny names. And she's got a bunch of signs up that she had professionally printed. And it's really weird. It's gotten, it's gotten very, very weird there. It's two cultures that are clashing down. It's the kind of thing Neil Young used to write songs about. It's very complicated. But I can go in there and I could say to them, could I please, por favor, have a half pint of the, uh, of the pollo? Uh, what would it be? Asada or asado? 
Did you take Spanish? I did in high school at uh, whatever the requirement was in, in college. But in high school, I had like four year, three or four years of it. Very good. Uh-huh. I, don't remember, I don't remember any of it. Has it stuck with you at all? Mm. I can understand some Spanish, but no, not really. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the same way. I have... Um, Didn't you? I, I thought very, you took Latin, though. Oh, no, no, I wish. I, I don't even have a joke about that. I am um, Fugit, I don't know. Sees, sees the Robin Williams movie, I don't know. Uh, Carpal Tunnel DM. Gosh. Um, I, uh, what did I do? I took, I took, I see, I took Spanish all wrong. I took Spanish, um, excuse me. <coughs> I had a lot of meat last night and some drinks. Um, I took it all wrong because I had it, I had it a little bit in eighth grade, like half a year of Spanish, you know? And I took it uh, from a lady who was from uh, Castile. Are, are you familiar with Castile? <laughs> Vamos a pasar lista. I'm going to take the roll call. Have you ever spoken to someone from Castile? <laughs> the problem with the person from Castile is that there is a prominent list to all of the things that they say. And if you attempt to uh, <laughs> hablar español any place but in Castile, they think you have a uh, impediment uh, day speech. And so this is how I learned to speak Spanish. <laughs> so like the Spanish that I learned, first of all, A, like I only, the only stuff I remember today is mostly useless and uh, makes me the guy who tries to order in Spanish. You know, nobody likes that guy, right? So when you're, so, at, when you're at a, a restaurant that has a... Like EBX, you're talking about EBX? EBX type mm-hmm. dish on it, you mm-hmm. will use the Spanish accent. <laughs> when ordering Dan Benjamin I have extremely strong feelings about the partial Spanish thing uh, as best typified on uh, Latino USA the show of news and cultura <laughs> well then why do you say news in Spanish <laughs> what does that mean we'll be back in a minuto no minuto I think that's a, that's a port, port, is that a Puerto Rican um, stew hmm so here's how I know how to say I know how to say my, my vocabulario was quite good um, I had a lot of trouble with the regular verbs, so I only said do re- do and say regular things. Uh, corta. Oh, would you like to hear it with a Castilian accent? You ready? Corta el pelo. Detrás de las orejas. It's really good. Camarera, la cuenta, por favor. It's good. Teteo bite con entalada y sopa. Y de potre, fruta. And how about you? How far did you go? Did you like read anything? Did you like read stuff in Spanish? Uh, the Stranger. <laughs> Camus? Mm-hmm. The French novel? Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, I thought that was in Spanish. No, I guess I haven't read anything. In... <laughs> huh. Did it start on a playa? Or did it start on a... Uh, I think La, I read Don La Quixote. Beach. La Beach. Oh, Don Quixote. That's, that's a long ass, pardon my saying, <laughs> a long ass book. No, I, I read just the textbooks, just whatever I was required to read to get the grade. My favorite Spanish language book that I have only read in English, uh, I've read it four times, is uh, 100 Years of Solitude. And Marquez says that he likes the translation better than his original version. Now, could you have a greater compliment than saying, what's his name, uh, Greg, uh, Gregor, somebody, I forget. I might be thinking of Kafka. But it, it's a hell of a book. You ever read that, 100 Years of Solitude? Cien años de uh, solatita, Dodd? You ever read that? <laughs> Gregor was the name of the, the roach. That's right. That's right. It was played by Anthony. Uh, wait, no, wait, Anthony Hopkins was not the one that was in Psycho. Is that right? Who am I thinking of? And Perkins is the pancakes place. 
because he was in he was no, he was in the castle, which was incomplete. Right. But they finished the movie, but not the novel. Is that correct? Something like that. Now, did you read Kafka back in the day? You you rolled Kafka, right? Just the Metamorphosis. That's uh, uh, but I did see that That's movie. It? Yeah. Huh. Which which version? The one with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Gregor Samsa. Gregor Samsa. Buck, buck bag. <laughs> buck bag. All right. I guess we should wrap it up. Hey, uh, so uh, how's your week? Good week? Big week. I had a huge, huge week. I had, I had a huge piece of prime rib last night, too. It was, uh, I embarrassed myself and my family. A huge week. I have three pieces of follow-up that I will keep very short. Um, first of all, uh, I said this uh, to everybody who will listen and many who will not, that everybody... I know you nerds have already listened to this, but everyone must go and listen to the last hypercritical. And Dan, who has a computer, will tell me that that is probably episode uh, 976. What is he on right now? 42. Hypercritical episode 42, the wrong guy. The wrong guy. And the titular wrong guy is, uh, according to uh, uh, Jay Sir, John Sarkisa, no Z, is uh, Walter Isaacson, the biographer of Steve Jobs. Right. I just really, I mean, you know, I've been flipping through it. I've been going back and forth between that and the Captain Beefheart biography, and it's extremely confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a tune about this, but it's true. There's like two excellent biographies about men um, who yelled at people a lot to make something perfect. You know, and one of which, you know, wouldn't use headphones in the studio. It got kind of confusing. Um, but the wrong guy, uh, man, I sat down and I, I, I look forward to every episode of Hypercritical. Um, don't tell him that. But uh, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, he goes into, I don't want, you can jump in here, but he goes into what I would describe as, I think the Latin for it is excruciating detail about uh, secondarily technical stuff that somebody like me or Walter Isaacson would get wrong, a little wrong or a lot wrong. But it was such a penetrating criticism of like how it basically missed the most interesting questions you could ask Steve Jobs about why he turned out the way he did or why he made the decisions he did. But then also, even when he got stuff, according to, I'm quoting Jaser here, and you can tell me if you agree or not, because he just mostly laughed. It was, your laughing was intoxicating. That's was, all I could do. But I said, I texted you about this because I was congratulating. When you have a good episode, I congratulate you on things. Thank and you. I, <laughs> uh, they're always implied, you know, but, you, but, you're, but it was like, it was at once, like it was, it was affectionate and, 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 and head shaking. And overwhelming, and like I was, I think everyone in the audience was laughing along with you, going, "Oh man, yeah," because he got really, you know. But he was, he was right. He was right. He was right about everything he said. Well, he's always right about it, and and uh, not always, and but he's, he's not right. He corrects it. But that's the thing about, and I tutored about this a little bit ago. But that's the thing is like, Jay Sir is a picky's the wrong word because uh, it doesn't really get get to how deeply flawed he is as a person. But you know, he's a very careful man. And this is a biography, the official biography, and I'm, I'm cribbing stuff here from you and Gruber and everybody, but, you know, it's the official biography. It's one shot at a guy who's not going to be around for a long time. And so there, it brings, for the people who are as, who aspire to be as careful in their thinking um, as, as a Steve Jobs, you know, and to really understand what went into that kind of uh, a mind and a life, you know, you see the missed opportunities. But then the part that I was more sensitive to, I haven't finished the book, but the part that I, where I really was like, yes, 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 was that even when you get it materially right, you have to like put it in the context of like, wow, that was a really big deal. When they made that decision about, you know, which computer codes to put into o O6 or, or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, the stuff about the arm thing and like, why would you have that relationship or not have that relationship? Like, it's weird. It's weird. Because 
it would be interesting to hear Isaacson respond to what John said in particular, because he probably, you know, has his reasons, but without saying, well, he almost said as much. He made it, John made it almost sound like, it, you know, if he were an editor of that, he would say, well, this part's copied and pasted, this part's materially incorrect, and this part misses the lead completely. <laughs> but anyway, if you like, if you, like um, you know, stuff like, like Apple stuff and job stuff, and if, especially if you like JSR. Don't you think that was a tour de force? Oh, that was his, that was his absolutely biggest moment so far. I, the, the toaster will always have a special place in my heart. Of course. But I, um, but you know, this is a rare thing. I, I don't want to bust the gut, but this is a rare thing for me when I think, well, this, this, pod, this podcast has been on for a while and I, and I hit the screen to look at Instacast and I'm like, oh, mm, it's going to end soon. And I almost never do that. And with this, I was like, oh man, come on. I, there's got to be a part two and probably a part seven. <laughs> like I cannot wait. <laughs> the beautiful part is when you get to the last two minutes. I'm sorry. This is, we should cut all this out, but I love it when it gets toward the end and you're like, John, I gotta go. I could, I didn't know it was gonna be a two hour show. We gotta go. Well, I told like, him ahead of time I had some. No, no, but this is the beauty up. part. He's like, well, I guess we could get through it. I guess we could get through it in 15 minutes. And he's like, here are my items. Da, 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 da. And like 14 more things, like whole sections, like H2s that he still had to get to. Anyway, it was really good. So that'll be in show notes, Hypercritical 42. It's really good. I love John Syracuse. Um, no, I, I've, uh, I'm not all the way through the talk show. I'm behind one on Marco. What's your, give me your high level on, on the book. Did, did, has that, has that colored your, your thinking on, on the, your reading of the book? No, it really, it really hasn't. Um, I mean, there's details in there, of course, about Steve Jobs that you, uh, perhaps didn't know, but so far, and I mean, I've really, I should just say definitively up till the end, cause I, I've got just a little tiny bit left to read that I haven't felt like I learned anything that I didn't already know. I felt like the rehashing that was done of the stuff I did know wasn't very, especially very good or especially informative in any way. And I, there are little tidbits in here, but, but it was kind of like I said on that episode with, with John Syracuse, uh, just really didn't ask the questions that I wanted to know. It really didn't add. I mean, there there are neat things in there that Steve Jobs said, and it seems like there were a lot of cool things that Steve Jobs said. Just in general, he said cool stuff a lot of the time, right. uh, and and none, I can say almost across the board, almost none of what Isaacson asked him was the stuff that I think I'm speaking for those of us in the audience that we would have liked for him to have asked. And I'm not sure if this right. is because he was not interested in this kind of stuff. And that's kind of the conclusion that I came to is like Isaacson didn't really care because I was just talking to a friend of mine on the phone about this earlier today. You know, you look at, I have not, I've not read his biography of Einstein. I haven't read his, uh, his other work, but from what I gather from reading reviews about it and what I've heard about it is that he, it seemed like he was fascinated by and genuinely interested in those particular topics and the to the eras that surrounded them and, things like that. Whereas this, it, it seemed like he was doing a job to report these things. This is the information. I don't really need to know too much about it because it's boring and nobody cares about old computers in the eighties. Uh, let's, let's not talk about that stuff. We don't really need to know it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, let's just cut through it. Whereas if you, if, and again, this is a, I've, I've been told that he, that this was not the case with like the Einstein biography, for example, that, that he did spend time understanding what was going on with physics during that time period, at least enough to be able to speak intelligently about it. But then again, 
maybe not. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe the people who were fascinated by physics during the time when Einstein was coming up would say, oh, he didn't talk about this and this and this. But to those of us who are lay people in the world of physics, it seems like he knew a lot about it. And maybe right. it would seem like Isaacson was the right guy for, for non-geeks, for non-nerds, for people who don't care about this kind of thing. I don't know. Well, I, yeah, we should probably move on. I mean, it's, it's worth listening to the whole episode, but, but I want to totally agree with you. And I also want to note that like when you said at one point, the turning point in that episode, I think in some ways was when you said, hey, you know, is it just that you're a bum that there wasn't more stuff you hadn't heard before? Or, you know, because, you know, we're nerds. We're looking for all of this stuff. But I think he crystallized uh, in a way that was probably difficult, given how he seems very emotional about this. Oh, yeah, very emotional. I mean, like, he's he's it's more than just he's mad, he's disappointed. It's complicated. It's a complicated set of feelings. But w- what I heard him saying was that, you know, well, no, it's a disservice to every reader if the author doesn't have um, a- enough information about the subject to, to not just simply explain it to people, but to put it in context and, and to help people understand like why this story is interesting. I mean, this is more than like the Pope dies and we pump something out in a trade paperback in one day. I mean, there's a lot in this and, and I, I would not presume, I mean, I don't have a book under my belt. I'm not one to criticize, but, but, but it, there's this phrase they used to use a lot. When I say they, I mean me, but a lot of people used to use a lot about the, the previous president. And they would say that the thing that's really shocking is his, uh, uh, some, that he's a very nice man when you meet uh, President uh, Bush, but that uh, he has a striking incuriosity about things. That he is really, it's not just simply that he's not a detailed guy and he trusts people and, you know, he wants to get back to his nap or whatever, but that he is a truly <laughs> incurious person. And, and it's a word that, I, I, it's such an interesting word to me because it's, it's more than just simply not being curious. It's more like you can't be bothered to, to know the details. And, and I don't know if that's what happened here, but every time I've been interviewed by somebody good or like, uh, like my pal, John Dickerson, like he is famous for this. Like Dickerson is great at the, like when he would quest- ask questions to the president, he'd be so great at like sneaking in some kind of a question that would be really hard to just simply say yes or no to where there would, you know what I mean? Like you have to understand your topic in a way and you have to understand it with such curiosity that you can put your self inside the mind of that other person. And so, I mean, there are times, you know, as, as, as you and John were talking about this, where, where I would kept thinking, you know, what's missing here is what a reporter would call the follow-up question. And it could be something as simple as, oh, and why is that? You know, and if you keep asking enough, and why is that questions, eventually the person's going to get nervous, or they're going to change the topic. And that's when you go, oh, it's time to go talk to Johnny Ive about how this really went. Anyway, I, you know, I just want to say, like, I thought it was really good because, you know, uh, the only thing I, I, I hate more than uh, when people are, are picky about things is, is, uh, is, is when I'm picky about things. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I, I'm a grammar nerd, but I hate being picked on as a grammar nerd, you know, and I don't like people pointing out things that I, I've said wrong. And that's like John's, not John's breath is this certain kind of truth. And uh, you could certainly find him just a funny, amusing little man. But I think that episode is where the rubber meets the road, to use an old cliche, where, you know, John's fascination and obsession with this stuff, he just lays it out, you know, blow by blow, like why this is problematic. Yeah. And then, and the, but then finally, like, here's, here's the last bit. Is, I mean, I don't know how much public radio you listen to. I can't stand too much of it anymore. I'm thinking I'm, I might start live blogging, all things considered. Because I think I could pretty much every day, I could have a very amusing live blog about all things considered. Let's, 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 let's uh, <laughs> circle back to that. Okay. You, but if you listen to This American Life, or if you listen to Radio Lab, or you listen to uh, Adam Davidson doing the um, 
mm-hmm. um, Planet Money stuff. Planet Money is a terrific example. If you listen to the very first episode of Planet Money, it is an effort between, I think it was All Things Considered and This American Life. But the whole, the whole reason Planet Money started was to tell a story that almost nobody completely understood, which is what the hell happened with the economy and the credit crisis. And they did it in this really staggeringly effective and not simple way, but they knew which parts of the story to put in and which parts of the story to leave out. Like, this is what makes This American Life so great. I mean, that, you know, and the DJ Shadow songs they keep playing. But, but you know, and same with Radiolab. They know how to tell a story. They know how to interview Oliver Sacks in a way that it's not just going, so you're the guy who can't recognize faces or whatever. You know, and, and I think that's when you read a book that really resonates or, or anytime you experience media like that, it's because somebody got the story, the story that was there. So anyway, I talked too long, but it was a really good episode. Hypercritical. That's all. That's all. Hats off to John Syracuse on that one. And, and to you, you are, you are great too. And you ask, you know, in, in your, in the way that you do really good questions and I'm super looking forward to the next one. Okay. Two more quickie. This is very quick. Um, uh, as pointed out by Andy Bayo, who I'd forgotten had bitched about the Google thing too, uh, via Andy Bayo, it appears that Google, did you see this? They have, um, let me put this in the robot for you. They have uh, brought something called verbatim search. They've introduced slash reintroduced something they're calling verbatim search. So you remember, uh, in one of the recent episodes, maybe the last episode where I was pissing and moaning about something, which I've been doing a lot lately. I kind of want to stop doing that. But um, Google has announced on their blog, their blog spot, blog spot, blog, book bag, search your <laughs> terms verbatim. And uh, in this blog post, they talk about how, yeah, well, you know, Google, blah, blah, we're really great. Uh, you know, people didn't like this. We took away the plus operator. They claim that. Do, 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 that was it less than half a percent of people used it? Something like very, anyway, they, they make the case for saying like not many people use this, plus it was, you know, confusing. Um, but I guess they heard the nerds. I would not presume to say they heard me, but they probably did hear Andy Bayo. And uh, now they brought back this thing. So, you know, the little side rail deal yeah. where you can like, you know, I, I, for example, I'm forever going to the like the winnow my search results by date. You know, we're also like, show me results from the last year. So if you go to those search options, there's a new option under there now called verbatim. And it's kind of great and kind of a bummer. It's, it's great because, I'm reading the bullets here, um, the stuff that I was bitching about, I mean, it, it'll leave off uh, different STEM words, like run versus running. Like whatever you type is what it's going to search for. Um, it's not going to personalize using search results. I love almost all of these. It leaves out uh, synonyms. You know, all, all stuff that is actually very close to the way I learned to love Google. The only one this is the first bullet is the one that bums me out. It doesn't make automatic spelling corrections. But, you know, it is. This is great. I mean, I haven't played with it much. I just read about it a minute ago. Um, but, you know, it, it, we were I was saying that the leading end of my rant about Google in some ways was that they'd remove that plus operator. And so uh, it apparently is now back in its way, which is good news. Should try it. You like Google? I like that minus, minus Merlin thing. Oh, I know. I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you a search, uh, save search engine for that and the name of a good shrink. Let me look here. Um, (laughs) Just the name though. I won't give you the phone number. It's going to drive you nuts. It's okay. That's right. You'll never set it up. You won't make the appointment. Um, (laughs) So where do I go for this? Okay. That's it. We got to get out of here. We got to keep going Uh, because we got stuff to talk about. Last piece of follow up was... Uh, iTunes match. It's live now. Yeah, it went live on uh, yesterday, Monday, November 14th. Right. 
And in a way that probably should get me banned. Uh, I, I wasn't even thinking about how much that's probably covered by NDA, but it's live and it's up. And uh, so people are using it. Have you, you're not a big music guy. So again, you don't have a lot of use. Yeah, if, if I had any music library whatsoever, or as you say, library, library, mm-hmm. then I, I would probably love the heck out of this thing. But I have, you know, eight or nine songs. Uh, so it, it doesn't really make, you know, a big splash here. Mm-hmm. For me, it's not an exciting thing. It's, you know, I have some old uh, CDs in a one of those binders <laughs> in in a uh, you know in a box somewhere. I could go get those, rip keep, those, keep, and then keep match it up them. In the visor. Keep it up in the visor in your Jeep. <laughs> There's the little little strap that goes around the visor. Just that one Spin Doctor CD <laughs> pocket full of kryptonite. In my rectum, and it's coming out now. <laughs> They're ah, great. Those pocket guys. full We're, of kryptonite. Pocket full of kryptonite, ladies and gentlemen. Now uh, cleaning pools with uh, John Oates and the other guy from <laughs> Wham. Hall. Hall? No, 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 no. Hall's doing great. You know, he got all, a lot of writing credits. Did not know that. No. And, and see, now I can't even make the joke because I don't remember George Michael's former partner. Lincoln. Part Lincoln? Andrew Lincoln. Lincoln? No. Lincoln. The album Lincoln. They might be giants. So, on the other night. I know you did. Show. Was it fun? Did you meet yeah, John you know, or did you meet John? Uh, I, I sang along with every part of Fingertips and I was just a complete dork. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk. Leave me alone. Anyway, that was me. So imagine that, but like I got a beer and I'm a lot louder because I'm that guy. Um, the match thing. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm in this whole thing now where I've got to get everything normalized. My data, my sync, my having been synced data, I think that's the 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 declension, is is a mess. I mean, all of my contact stuff is a mess. I, I uh, if I were not a, a fiddly nerd geek type, like I would probably just settle on. Um, I'll just use iCloud for everything. Yeah. But you know, I use Gmail for mail, and so it benefits me to have that stuff. I'm still figuring out whether straight Gmail or Exchange style. Well, like if you use, I get, the, I get these confused, but like if, if you have an exchange account and a Gmail account set up, you know, you could, they can both be Google accounts on your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. Like one of them, you get more stuff. I think with exchange, you can do more stuff with your calendar. I might get these wrong. So forgive me. But, and I, but I think with Gmail, that's the only way, only way you get like the important um, mailbox. So there's this weird voodoo. So all, anyway, my stuff's a mess, but I, I mentioned this because, well, first of all, yay, it's live. People seem to be having fun with it, the iTunes match. Um, I want to repeat what a lot of uh, the Apple bloggers have said, which is uh, if you're using this, go into iTunes and hit whatever it is, Command-J, and flip on the bits for showing um, whether it's downloaded and like what the iCloud status, status is. Because it's actually super helpful to see in iTunes what's been downloaded. And my only addition to that, uh, which is going to be hard to explain because I'm not on my Lion computer right now, uh, but you know, you can cre- what, what, what I found useful is creating. Um, so, so like some of your stuff, it'll be like purchased or uploaded or duplicate or ineligible or error, right? So it returns these messages for like what what iTunes Match thinks of this track. And so I'm in troubleshooting that. For what it's worth, here's a little trick for you: uh, go ahead and create a smart playlist in iTunes where it is. Um, all of not matched, not purchased, not uploaded. And so you can find all the stuff that's not working for some reason and try to track that down. And that's a hack. I but like when you share hacks. I got a lot of hacks, Dan. I could, I could hack 
you know, hmm, what time is it? Oh man. This is all gold though, right? It's yeah, we'll gold. cut we'll cut this out. Okay. Well, I thought you did I thought you didn't edit for content. You keep you keep saying that phrase. I'm not sure what that means. Amalgam. Hmm. Buck bag. <laughs> Buck bag. This is good chicken. Hmm. Mm. Hey, talk for a second. Don't mean to talk while you eat. Please. Mm. Mm. Good point. Mm. 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 I got lots of ideas about smart playlists. People love when you eat on your shows. Um, uh, we should do more of these. You know what? I, I, this is, I don't know if I'm officially allowed to officially announce that this is officially a thing, but I'm going to announce it. I hope I don't get in trouble. Um, you know that, uh, that David Sparks guy? Yes. With the book of the podcast? Yes. I think he's got a podcast or something. Mac Power users. Okay. MPU. 5 by 5 Is that TV one of those Adam, Adam Curry ones? Where do you get that? Where do you listen to that? 5 by 5 5 by 5 that's Adam, right. Adam Curry. You know him, right? He came up last night. Colton was talking about him last night. I'd completely forgotten about this guy. He's like the, the godfather, the podfather or whatever they call him. And I remember there was this time when podcasts first started where like all you ever heard about was like, like Adam Curry. And I, I guess he's still around. He's some kind of bajillionaire, I think. Didn't he invent uh, MTV? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and, and Moose. Didn't Not he do the weekend, weekend Rock? Do they still have that? You talking about Kurt Loder? Oh, yeah, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. He, sh- he should have had someone closer to him talking about hair with him. That should, have, that should have been something that was an evolving conversation. David Sparks uh, had this idea um, that I'm really glad is happening. And that is at, 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 uh, at Macworld uh, here, in, I think in San Francisco, in uh, sometime in the, what is it, January, February, something like that. I think it's January 26th. Um, you ready for this? Yeah. David Sparks, Merlin Mann, Brett Terpstra. Terpstra. Say it. Yeah, say Terpstra. it again. Terpstra. Brett Terpstra, uh, David Sparks, and me, 40 tips in 40 minutes. We're doing a session called 40 Tips in 40 Minutes. Oh, we're going to wow. go through, we're going to go through and, and, and like, it's going to be pure tippage and it's all going to be like documented. Like we're working on an, uh, a Google Doc spreadsheet where like you can get the links for how to do that, but it's basically going to be like 40 magic tricks. We're just going to go out there and it's going to be like, bam, bam, bam. And it's going to be an awesome session. Wow. So, and I'm, I'm, the reason I had announced is I'm trying to figure out which pass you need to, to do it, you know, cause it's nice to tell people that so that they don't, you know, buy too much or too little. It's very confusing to buy passes for these things, Dan, these conferences. Oh, I know. You know, it's like going to a hotel and like, you can't tell, they always name things like silly things. So you can't, you know, identify like what, like the floors of a building. You know what I mean? They, they give them funny names. Give me an know? example of the names. Well, what's a good example? You ever go to a ball game? Yes, and I like, Okay, so I'm going to get these wrong because I'm not a sports person, but I've been to probably four or five Giants games and I, I never know whether we have good seats. Because it's like, it's like view, premium, deck, good. Like they're, they're all, <laughs> well, I, think, I think view, view are like the bad seats. You know what I mean? It's like that, that thing where you like, you name policies by what it's, you know, the, the preservation of love act is like, it, it literally slits deer's throats or something. It's like that. Anyway, I'm doing another one too, that I think is not, uh, with, with, with David and Katie that, uh, you'll be hearing about soon. That's, uh. Uh, almost as exciting, but I'm excited about that. Cause that Brett Terpster man, like just this week alone, he's got two more super, super cool things that he's put out that I'll put in uh, show notes, but yeah, Macworld. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Macworld space pipe space. I world. 
I think is the name. Okay. I don't know if you pronounce the pipes. Do you pronounce pipes? Uh, is there a shortened version? Like now the exclamation point will be pronounced bang usually. Oh, sure. You know? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I tried, I tried running it in the terminal and I got errors. Hmm. Um, okay. We should do sponsor in a little bit, but I want to tell you, so that's the follow-up. My God. They have coaches you? club field one, two, and three <laughs> mezzanine club A, B. Yeah. Like and club then the mezzanine. Two. Oh, the mezzanine. That's different from mezzanine club. Not counting the mezzanine. They have terrace one and two. Is this is this at the uh, at the uh, acronym park at the Giants place? What is it called now? No, these are just names. IPP Park something. It has had like nine different names. They got sushi there. They got garlic fries. They got pretty big bathrooms. Tell you it's what, not, you know what you they know. have that's real good up there. What's that? They have. Uh, they have the uh, crab, the crab sandwich. Oh, I like a crab sandwich. Do you ever have that there? Mm. Um, not there. I'm a garlic fry guy there. It's very costly to go to a baseball game, Dan. It is, especially just what you get on food. I'm boycotting them right now. You should, you should get, a, get a something up in the Oracle seats. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> or the, Cor- the Coors Light Silver bullpen. <laughs> bullpen. I'm going to come to the bullpen. They told me I was not allowed to carry my daughter on my shoulders there. I knew they were very, they were very mean about it. Oh, they let you do that in the Lexus dugout clubhouse. Oh, uh, okay. What about the Coca-Cola big ass glove? <laughs> Mart spot view. Well, actually in the view reserve outfield area. Are you kidding? You no, can. no, seriously. Are you, are you on the site? Is that real view reserve? <laughs> Cause I'm pretty sure every time I go, Ooh, we got view seats and it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I see some rich people standing. Uh, I guess it's baseball. I don't know. I don't know. I should get into sports. I need something. You like should sports. get in. You really should. I should I start LARPing. Is that like a new sports thing? Mm-hmm. I, I got to do something. Yes. I had to realize finally, again, this is going to be part of my live blog for ATC. That's what we call all things considered. Uh, they had a thing on like this video game that just came out the other day that everyone's playing. And I realized I've gone from being like a jokey old guy to total old guy. It's like, oh, you kids and your games. Like, I, I don't understand anything anyone's talking about anymore. It's this new version of this game. What's it called? Call of Murder. Uh, uh, the Chase the Weasel. What's it called? What's it new? And it's a shooter. Is there a new version of a shooter or a fantasy game that's out? Zelda. Hmm. Did I say about the one time I played Zelda? No. What's his name? Link? Was that his name? Link is the, the boy. Yeah. Okay. We got it for, for the Wii. Like, I, I, thought, I thought the sports disc just never even came out we just all i did was play tennis and then one day we got that they got the link game and put it in and uh i never felt lower or more penisless than while i made a horse gallop in a circle for 30 minutes while my wife yelled at me <laughs> leave the meadow turn the horse goddamn link i had uh, uh some ideas how much time we got we're pretty good we're doing good um you know what? Club I level suites club, is where you want to be. Hi, hi, <laughs> hi. I'm Dusty Baker. Do you enjoy seats? Um, is he still with the Giants, the Dusty Baker? No, he was with the Braves, and now is he still? He's not the coach here anymore, right? Dusty, else. Dusty Rhodes. Dusty, Dusty Rhodes. Did you watch that? Did you watch NWA? <laughs> no. Did you? No. Dusty Rhodes, Iron Cheek. Maybe he's from Castile. Maybe that's why he talks like that. Iron Seek, 
It's going to be at the Curtis Hickson Center this weekend. It's going to be a throwdown. Bugsy McGraw. I remember all those. I watch that all the time. Dan, you should, you should get me off your podcast. This is not working. I had three, uh, three ideas. Um, I, I felt like we rushed through the unstuck part <laughs> last week. Oh, because, yeah. And now I've wasted uh, 45 minutes talking about being hungover in dusty roads. But um, I'm not hungover. I'm eating chicken. I thought I'd like to talk, I either like to <clears throat> talk more about the unstuck thing. <clears throat> I would like to talk more about vegan straight edge Shane Becker's idea of the guaranteed not to fail. Or I would like to offer you the opportunity to pick from a door and tell me what you would like to talk about. Because I'm interested in all these things, especially you. I like the follow up idea. The unstuck? Yeah. More unstuck? Mm -hmm. Further unstuck. People seem to like that. You, you, got a, you literally got an email from somebody that said, cut out everything before that. And have that one 10 minute show where Merlin talks fast. That was, that, was, that was what they wanted, right? Yeah, they like the they like the bulk bag stuff a lot. Is that a remix or a uh, a, a mix mix back? What do they call that? <laughs> Mixtape. Mixtape. Bulk bag. Um I like unstuck. Do you like unstuck? Yeah, I think it's a good topic. We should talk about a sponsor. Do you like that uh, you like that Squarespace? Love them. Okay, now... Now, wait, 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 did they give what? you the beta six? Are you in the beta six? We're not talking about that anymore. I know, We're but did they... I'm just asking, did they give you that? You know, if they had, I, I couldn't tell you, but no, they haven't. Okay. And for good reasons. I mean, I, we can't go into detail on this, but like, you know, it's become really uh, noisome how that word beta has become so meaningless, you know? Or alpha. Somebody goes, I gotta get it. I need my invite for the alpha. Well, you know, every time you see alpha on software... You should just read. This will probably explode and like and burn your eyes out with gasoline. Like that's we should. That's when alpha. Alpha means we're not done, guys. I'm not saying Squarespace, but I'm saying every there's this culture where like that has lost its meaning, and I think Squarespace takes that extremely seriously. This is, uh, but this is not the interesting part. Now here's the thing. I take the note that I talk about this stuff too much for too long, partly because I'm disorganized and partly because I'm excitable. I had topics for these shows today. I was going to talk about creating member accounts, which is more interesting than it sounds, but. But did you get my uh, electronic mail? I did. It had a pretty picture in it and a link. Okay, so I called an audible on this. I asked that kid Ryan. You know, he's like fourteen. Called, tough, called an audible. I called an audible. Sports. <laughs> that's the term from sports. It is. I'm just thrilled to hear you use it. I never played hockey, but I called that kid. I I I, I said, "Can we talk about this?" And he said, "Talk about this." Are you ready for this? If you go to blog.squarespace.com, you'll see this. It'll be in show notes. Um, from the beginning, we've been telling you the great thing about the Squarespace is it is so freaking easy to use and it is so pretty. Uh, well, they just uh, turned the knob up way high on that today. Um, I will keep this short, but if, if, if you want a site that looks cool, it's always been easy with Squarespace. You pick these templates. You have these templates. You can change the templates. You can make additions. But they did some awesome, really cool new stuff today uh, to the tune of 13 redesigns of the templates they have. 85 new styles, which are like the subsets of the templates. And uh, two new templates that are really cool looking, um, very modern, uh, clean, as we used to say. You ever get that from a client? You ever get that note they want it clean? Mm. But give it pop. <laughs> Make it a little more jazzy. Have fun with it. Principle and transfigure. Principle and transfigure. Principle, principle is my go-to. So yeah, you get all these new templates. They've, 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 uh, they've done some stuff with, the, with uh, the, you don't say old, what do you say? You say the legacy templates. I mean, all their templates are really cool. And like I said before, it's really easy to go in and change stuff. But they just made this like way, way easier. Because in addition to having these new templates where you can just click a button and go. You see that? Look at that. You see that ne next bullet? Yep. Google Web Fonts, yep. all of them. All they of have them. added over 300, the free embeddable 
Is that the term you use? Embeddable? Embeddable works. 300 sexy web fonts uh, that you now just click to choose. And I was messing around with this song right before we started. And it really is that easy. The same way you used to click Helvetica before, you can now click Bulby 1. Bulby. 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 Buckbag 32. Black Ops 1. Black Ops. Butcher Man Caps. Bentham. Brawler. Bangers. Big Shot. <laughs> so anyway, all those fonts are in there. On, on your old, your existing, your any of these, it's a click away. It's super easy to do. And um, I'm probably going to go in right after we're done here. And I'll drink some more water. And then um, I'm going to go in and play the crap out of this because it's so great. Now, now, check it out. Here's the other thing. Yeah, tell them uh, about third, this one. Third, this one's pretty cool. Okay, so you know how you, we nerds like like our little, like, you know, our text mates with our, you know, for doing stuff. If you, you know, part of what makes stuff like Markdown so great, part of what makes this emerging Web 2.0 stuff great is that a text area can be more than a text area now, right? There's stuff that you can do where it's not just you and a cursor and a keyboard. Well, they've just added a new CSS editor. Well, yeah, you've always been able to, like, change it in the text area or copy and paste. But if you're doing custom CSS stuff, they now have an editor that can either A, reside at the bottom of your screen, right? So if you're, in other words, if you're in the editing mode, I don't know if that's a technical term, but you can see live changes to your template as you're making these changes um, in the little selector dealy. Right, before, always, before it, you, it, was, it was just text area and you would but, paste I mean, something like, and yeah, you could save changes. And now... If you changed line height like through the GUI, you'd see that, and that's right. awesome. But let's say you're like me, and I got a bunch of overrides. Oh, you got to override. And and uh, yeah, we'll all go in and I'll say. And the thing is, whatever you put into the custom CSS area, yeah, it's just a text area to begin with. But you know, it, it knows to override exclamation point important or whatever that stuff. Now it has a. You can either see it in that pane or pop it into a new window, and you have a syntax highlighted CSS editor that works. It's a, I don't want to, you wouldn't say WYSIWYG, but a lot of the benefits of some desktop Mac apps that I love for doing CSS, like this is now in your browser. So, so you got new templates, you got uh, cool new fonts that are click away. And now if you want to do any fiddling, uh, it, you take care of it all right in this little GUI. And so, um, I think I already put that in the show notes, but please do check that out. Um, I don't want to carry on. I'll talk more about nerd stuff, uh, uh, next time, but like if you're using Squarespace, please try these. And if you're not using Squarespace, uh, I wish you would try it because um, this is great. And uh, you know, they're not jackals, even though they live in Manhattan. Did you know that? That they are not jackals, even though they live in Manhattan. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, draw with too, too broad of a uh, editor, but uh, they're good people at the Squarespace. And so they would like to ha- give you an offer code that you can use for uh, a discount. It's an offer code. These are all terms of art, Dan. It's very confusing. But if you go to squarespace.com slash back to work, one word, you can get 20% off your first six months of Squarespace. It's not bad. You'll stay longer. You know what I mean? Come for the pizza. Stay for the fun. That's a freebie. Pizza. Mmm. Gutenberg. And all you have to do is go in and enter the offer code. The offer code is, of course, for, for the month of 11, for November. The offer code is so angry, one word. And if you go in and enter that in, you will get that discount. You will get 13 uh, template redesigns, 85 new templates, two brand new templates. You will also get Black Ops bangers and Bobby One. Butcher Man. We, uh, we, I, I love the Squarespace. And I'm, 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 I use it a lot and I like it. I'll stop talking now. Dan, do you like Squarespace? I love it. So angry. Squarespace.com slash back to work. Uh, we thank Squarespace very much for supporting 5x5 and back to work. You know, they uh, redesigned the Gmail 
you know, and so now you Wait, get... Wait, Squarespace redesigned the Gmail? Oh, that's it's all in there. It's in there. They call it an IDE. Mm. Uh, uh, and now, you know, in the Gmail, now you get a picture of somebody if they got a picture of the person with their mail. You seen this? I saw a picture of this kid, Ryan. Never he's, use he's like, it. He's like Never 11. Use it. It's like 11. Oh, you're all in the mail.app. Of course. Hmm. Native apps. Native, Native apps win over web apps. There might be six or seven time. buttons you could click to see it. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just can't, I can't tolerate the yeah. Gmail interface. I think he's very young. He probably plays video games, I'll ask. <sighs> wow, that's a long one. We should, um, we're going to talk about getting unstuck. How do, how do you get stuck? How do you prioritize? How do you prioritize? I think, the, I think, no, the seriously, serious question. How do you get stuck? I'll tell you, you, you want to know how to prioritize? No, I want to know how you get stuck. Okay, because i got a whole new deal on this if you want to talk about that. All right. Yeah. i got a whole, whole new thing on focus if you want to talk about that. Okay. But um, maybe I'll try and pull that in with the unstuck part. Um, so this, this comes out of uh, last week when we asked the jackals what they wanted us to talk about. And um, after I ranted about Google, we ended up talking a little bit about the getting unstuck part. But I think this could almost be a, a, a multi-epi run because there's so many angles on this that we could take. And... Um, in some ways, I, I, the, 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 the need, the, the feeling that, so let's, let's talk about what, what do we mean by feeling stuck? I think, you know, gosh, well, you could feel, you could certainly feel stuck in a job. You could feel stuck, uh, creatively. Uh, what is stuck? Stuck is you feel like you have uh, fewer rather than more options and you're probably not sure how to change that. That, that to me is what stuck feels like. You could probably make a case for saying that you have way too many options and don't know which to choose. I mean, it's a first world problem, but it's, it's still a problem. But I think the stuck part, if you were to distill it all the way down, being stuck comes down to um, maybe not being sure how you got here, not being sure what to do next, and not being sure what the process would be for figuring out the proper way to do that. And so that could be something like uh, with what people have called writer's block. It could be something where, again, like with your, with your job, I mean, what, can, what could make you feel more stuck than being in a bad economy being lucky enough to have a job, but then feeling like, I mean, you ever had the, you know, again, John, you, you're uh, Dan, you haven't had a lot of these job things, but <laughs> sometimes there's this, there's this terrible mixed feeling you get in a job of um, really disliking a lot of what you do. Um, and at the same time, really being terrified of losing the job and, and kind of having this fight. I, I used to have this all the time. I'd have this like weird fight in my head about, about how I should be approaching this. Like, should I just be trying like a lot, a lot harder, like to be, to be like the noticed, uh, I don't want to be laid off. But then there's also this certain part of you that's like secret, dirty part of your mind that almost wishes you'd get fired, even though it would be the worst thing in the world. And I don't know if that happened to you. I don't know if that's happened to our listeners. I suspect it has. I'm sure it has. I think that's probably a, a pretty common feeling. And it's emblematic of that, those warring voices in our head. That, that make us feel stuck about stuff. So last week, for example, I was saying, I, I think there's a benefit to limiting um, the number of options that you, that you have in things. Not, not as in like making yourself more stuck or coming up with fake deadlines, but in the sense of uh, maybe put differently, limiting the number of variables in your decision-making and execution. So if you're feeling stuck in the job, and feel free to take this any direction you want. But I mean, if you're feeling really stuck in a job, it could be because you really think there's just, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like you're, you're just going to be stuck here. Um, and I think it helps to, it would help a lot to, to, to mix that up in, in different ways and, and think about what the, what the actual realistic options are. It does get somewhat back to the whole um, cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness approach, 
But, you know, what is it that really makes you stuck at that job? Well, a lot of times it's that you got to have the dough and it's not easy to get another job. But, I mean, if, if, if the answer to your question or your problem could theoretically be almost anything, well, if almost anything is the answer, it's time to start pulling in your scope a little bit, right? And so in the job part, let me come back to the job part. If you, the creative one's easier to address in some ways. Like, I think we talked last week about, like, do we want to talk about this in terms of creativity or life? Like, the life part's complicated. But the creativity part is... Creativity seems like it's something we could do, fit in the show. Let's fit that, and then let's, let's talk some more about that. Stuck. Okay, we'll capture this. Let's do stuck life, um, maybe for next time and beyond. But um, I think one thing that's so interesting in the last uh, 10 or 15 years uh, that... A lot of people get so easily and naturally that it's startling how many companies don't get it is the extent to which everybody thinks of themselves as an artist or a maker or a creator, right? And, and you know, look at the music industry. I mean, there was, there was a, think about going out and buying a copy of Led Zeppelin three in whatever that would be, 1970 or whatever. Um, you would not consider yourself a, a friend or supporter of John Bonham because you bought that record, you think of yourself as a fan who had six bucks. And now today, um, <laughs> the, the man that I had dinner with last night has kind of made a career out of like the fact that, you know, you do have this, there's this new level of engagement with people that stems out of the, partly out of the connections we can make with each other now, but just also out of the idea that like, nobody thinks of themselves as a consumer of culture anymore. Almost everybody on some level thinks of themselves as a creator of culture. And we can, we can and may argue about what constitutes culture, but I don't think people would keep putting stuff on Instagram if they didn't think it was worth showing to other people. Mm. I don't think people would keep describing their burrito on Facebook or doing something sublime that helps the environment. I don't know, but whatever you do on Facebook, but I don't think people would be doing that if they didn't think it was worthwhile on some level. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's purely therapeutic. But I think we're very conscious of having an audience and very conscious of the fact, I mean, even if you're not on a, a douchebag podcast, you're aware of like the quote unquote number of followers you have, right? And so you try to make things that will, you know, please those people and raise those numbers or however you look at it. I'm just trying to say that I, I don't think, I don't think that's the way it was even 20 years ago with zines. There was no Google analytics for zines, you know, <laughs> you, you bought it and you read it right. and then you probably threw it away. But now today, there's, there's, this, there's this, not only this feedback loop, but there's so many different means for making things. There's so many different ways to post things, you know? And, and I find myself getting hung up on it. I, I, don't, I don't even know where to post links like I used to, right? There's some link stuff that I'll put into your CMS and break. Sorry about last week, right? I could put stuff on Delicious. I could put it onto uh, <laughs> Pinboard, where I usually put it. I could put it on this Tumblr site or that Tumblr site or that. Or, oh, maybe I should turn that link into a post on 43 folders, right? It's never a question of like, should I do this? It more does become a question of which tool do I want to use to reach a certain audience or achieve a certain result. And I think that is really different from organizing your records in the seventies. I could be way wrong there because certainly people have always done things like loved music and started a band or, or liked paintings and decided to take classes. But don't you think that's kind of fair to say, Dan? I mean, even with the IRC uh, there or, or with what people do on our, on our wiki, like they're, materially contributing to what's happening. Oh yeah. I mean, not, no, not, not even in that just, you know, like total, you know, BS way. No, I, I agree. I mean, you know, it's the difference between having a diary with a lock on it and like getting a tumbler, 
you know, you could, you could put, you know, uh, photos of barefoot anorexic girls in a book, you know, and, and that would be weird. But if you put them on a Tumblr site, then you get really popular, you know, especially if they're holding a moleskin notebook. It's very weird. Can't have an animated GIF in a diary. I guess that's the distinction. Did you say but GIF I, or GIF? I, you know, I'm going to write that down. I should come back to that. But I think that's an important, I think that's an important thing to think about is that there was that, um, the talk that what's her head, uh, eat, pray, Julia Roberts did at, uh, the Ted, what's her name? Eat, eat pray, did, love. Yeah. What's her name? Help me out. She did a, she did a, I think a very good talk on fear at, at Ted. Eat, pray, love. Oh, come on. This is so embarrassing. Somebody should know this. Um, she did a talk called Elizabeth Gilbert on Elizabeth Gilbert on nurturing creativity. And I've heard this quote different places, but I think, I think she, the phrase that she used was something like, I should give up something like, Oh, my father never had truck drivers block or like, you know, you never meet somebody who has doctor's block. Well, that's just the job that they do. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah. She put that in the thing. Um, but you know, if you think of it from that point of view, well, you know, you sure, you sure could have carpenter's block because if you just know in theory that you'd like to make furniture, but you haven't made a lot of it yet, it's going to be, you, you don't even know what questions to ask, right? I mean, it's not, it's not as glib as just saying like, you know, oh, if you, if you work, it's easy because it's not. It's just, it's, it's just that in an age when we all have access to these tools for making things, there may be myriad, myriad questions that, that don't have an easy, simple, and fast answer. Well, what is it that I want to make? Who is this for? Do I want to make money off of this? Um, what kind of response am I hoping or expecting for? Um, I don't know if I'm framing this well, but I, I just want to make a case that like, while whatever procrastination, writer's block, any of that stuff, it's been around forever. I think a lot of times when people stay, say they're stuck creatively, it's in the context of wondering like, what can I make that like potentially a hundred thousand people might see or even five people, right? There are people who write all kinds of stuff and make all kinds of stuff and never show it to anybody. You know, they just do it. They do it because you know. they like it or they do it. Uh, right. Cause they have to, but I'm not sure if I'm going anywhere with this. It just feels like that's a real difference in our culture in the last few years. And I guess what I want to say is go easy on yourself because it's, it may be a new problem for you. If you did not go to film school or you did not go to art school or you did not go to journalism school or you, whatever, um, it may feel very foreign to suddenly decide to do that. This is something that's only happened. I mean, a millennium ago, people didn't just suddenly decide to be artists or people didn't suddenly decide to be anything. If your dad was a farmer, you were going to be a farmer and then you're going to die at 40. Like that's how it worked. And it's just that now today we do have the ability um, and, and in some cases the, the, you know, the tools and the means to decide to make stuff. But that doesn't make it any easier to make stuff. And that's where the getting stuck part comes in, I think. So far, anything here? Anything I'm, 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 I'm listening. Mm -hmm. That felt like mostly set up though, right? I think so. So the, the case I want to pick up on from last time is that um, there's an anti-pattern. Uh, that works against us, I think, whenever we're trying to solve problems. I'll speak for myself and, and probably for a lot of you that sometimes the thing that feels like it's going to be really useful um, is the thing that makes it worse. And I, uh, last time we talked about how options, like all the options I have for where I could write, ultimately um, serves to harm rather than help the production of words. But all the time you're deciding where to write, you're not writing. Right. And <laughs> if it were, you know, uh, a, a century ago, 
I mean, wh- what would you be deciding? You know, <laughs> you'd be deciding which piece of paper and that would be it. And yeah. then you'd be writing or not writing. So I think this embarrassment of, of riches and all of these options and seeing all your friends and people you admire posting lots of things in different places, making things, going on the Etsy or doing stuff with eBay or doing any of that stuff, it can be so overwhelming because in each case, you might be asking yourself, well, should I do that? Should I put this there? Should I make this kind of thing? Will it be as good as that? And I think if you haven't spent years and years and years um, living inside of those questions, it can feel very um, overwhelming and even a little bit lonely. So one, one anti-pattern is, uh, the, if for me anyway, if sometimes it feels like the way to get out of that, where do I even begin, is by just going out and consuming as much data as possible or trying as many options as possible. Because that feels like, it kind of feels like if you wander around in this very large dark room long enough, you're bound to find something useful, right? And you, but you never may not know if you're even in the right room. <laughs> and so I, I think that works against us. Um, and, and all the time that you're seeking out whatever that next tool is or thinking about, is there some new trick to this or is there some angle on this? You may be, you know, I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. Okay. You may not be getting to the more fundamental question of like, like, what the hell am I making? Like, like, what is this thing that I want to do? Um, and, and the only way you really find out what you're going to make is by starting to make it, I think, in a lot of ways. And so, for example, with me, like, I think outlines are a great idea in, um, in writing if they lead to the production of a thing that, that you're doing. I mean, it's just for a lot of people, like, for example, you know, we grew up in this culture of like, oh, these outlines are this thing that's just part of this perfunctory process. You have your note cards, and then you have your outline, and then you have your five paragraph, uh, and, you know, it just drains all the blood out of how fun writing can be. Instead of teaching that as a set of different tools that may work for you, that you could abandon or transform at any time. So for me, yeah, like an outline is a great thing, and, but I do it in a text editor. And it's just bam, 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 bam. And then when I've outlined long enough, some switch flips in my brain and I know it's time to start making those into little paragraphs. That's just one example. With the, anti, the obvious anti-pattern being, well, going out and finding more outlining apps is not going to help that process. Or, you know, in my case, like going in and, you know, changing my badge profile so that, you know, this will happen and that'll happen. Um, but if you, if you don't have some clear sense, if you haven't made enough of the kind of thing that you're making, uh, to know that that problem is going to keep coming up, it can feel like a real showstopper. You know, do you know what I mean? I do. I mean, you get this in programming, you get this in business, you get this in all this kinds of stuff where if you've never solved a given problem, there's no reason for you to think it can even be solved. And it's not as simple as saying, we'll just go try because well, you may be trying, but you, you may be trying in a way that, uh, to, you, where if somebody else tried it, it might work great. But if you don't have enough expertise and experience, that's where you feel stuck. And then you start feeling bad, in my case. And I'll start beating up on myself and you go, you know, I'm never going to be able to do anything decent. I think everybody thinks that way. So, um, want to talk strategies or do you want to uh, do more framing? Strategies, I think enough, <laughs> enough framing. Well, I think the framing part helps because there's so many questions that are difficult to answer if you don't, if you don't really understand why the question was being asked. Like if, if you're, if you're, um, if your partner says, you know, do these jeans make my butt look big? Well, first of all, you know, like what answer is going to be great for that? Right. There's, there's no answer that's great for that. 
But you could spend the rest of the evening trying to disassemble that question into like what, what kind of answer you're supposed to give. I mean, are you supposed to say, well, they would look better if you didn't eat so much? Or maybe you should buy bigger pants? Like, what, what, you know, <laughs> there's, not, there's, nothing, there's nothing great there. Yeah. Yeah, there's, as, as my uh, brother-in-law says, no good can come of it. He says that about the sexting. He says, there are things in life where good things come. <laughs> he said, the sexting, no good can come of that. Yeah. And I, and I, I think the first time, maybe you're a freshman in college and, uh, and, your, and your partner says, Does this, do these pants make my butt look big? And you might say something like, uh, not as much as your other ones. Or, uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, more than usual. Or, uh, you know, I can't tell, could you move your Sunday? <laughs> you know, or you yeah. do what I do, you feign a stroke. And, you know, by the time the medics get there, you know, she's found another man. Um, so it's always, it always feels very uh, facile and over easy to say, well, we'll just keep working on it, just keep working on it. Because I think sometimes the question goes deeper than that. That's why I, I frame and overframe is because if you're not asking the right question, there is no correct answer. And so when, when we talk about being stuck, it helps, to, it helps to understand, first of all, like, yeah, well, yeah, what is it you're trying to make? But also how much skin in the game is there in the game for you with this? If it's, if it's super easy for you to just walk away from something and never come back to it, um, then there may not feel like there's even that much incentive to get unstuck. Well, at the same time, if you have so much pressure, let's say you have a deadline or, you know, you've got your boss looking down over your shoulder or something, and that can be its, be its own problem too. So my, my all-purpose two stage um, troubleshooting for this is um, I mean, I think the care part matters. Yeah. I mean, like how much do you really care about getting this thing done? Um, I mean, we've, we've, be, we've beaten this to death before, but I, I, I think if you're really stuck, you have to ask yourself like, well, why did I ever get into this in the first place? You know, wh why did I do that? Like if, I, if I'm stuck at a party, well, like wh what made me think that this party was going to be a good idea? And what, are, and what are my options for getting out? And if the answer ultimately is like, this is a terrible idea, I should just go, well, then you can duck out. Or, or you can just sit there and be really unhappy and, and wonder about it and try to troubleshoot, you know, with potato chips. But that's, I don't think that's going to get you an answer. And then the, but the, the really logistical piece is if you're pretty sure that you want to be doing what you're doing, and you don't even have to be committed for life or anything. But I think if you're, the second part is to look at specificity uh, and, and limitations and a certain kind of almost like a, I want to say like a scientific method combined with a certain kind of weirdly intuitive experimentation. And so if you're having trouble with writing and you're sure it is something that you want to write, we'll just start with the one stupid example. I mean, yeah, start by, I would say start by limiting the number of options. And that doesn't just mean tools. I think it can also mean like, have you defined success in this to be either I write the next great Gatsby or I'm never picking up a pen again? Because that's a pretty high bar, Right. If you sit there and you're trying to write verse, but you're way over explaining everything and the language is becoming less lively, well, maybe you're really trying to write a short story. I mean, verse is really hard to do. Or maybe you're actually, it turns out, you're actually trying to write a song and you haven't realized that yet. But if you're just beating yourself up because you're not done writing the poem, then you're never going to take that step back and say, am I asking the right question here? And if you're going to write a poem, uh, just as an exercise, like why don't you try picking a form, form type for that poem? You know, form types in poetry are great because they can be like little games. You could do stuff, you could make a, make a Villanelle, or you could do a Sestina, or you could do any of those things. And, but it, by choosing that, and then moving it in that direction, and then trying it a little bit, well, it might suck. But you're going to be further along than you were 
before. And that's, that gets you straight into that pattern now of typing and making that clackety noise until something comes out. Because when the something starts coming out, uh, the reason you're unstuck either goes away or reveals itself, I think. It's probably still too general. Well, what do you I'm, think, Dan? I mean, I think it's it's kind of general, but not too general. <laughs> I think... Um, not as general as your other ones. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. There's a there's a there's a very unkind phrase that I I, I have uh, I, I have actually applied to myself. Okay. That uh, but uh, the phrase uh, poser or uh, poser as you like to say. Right. Right. And this and this is where you I, take I on do all, say that. all the trappings and all the affectations of something, and where you end up doing some pantomime version of something that's theoretically interesting to you. And that could be an artist, it could be an activist, it could be a programmer. But it could be something where you have like watched enough of this one kind of thing to be able to mimic it to your own level of satisfaction that you feel like you look like that kind of thing. Hmm. Right. And, um, but that, that just no matter how good you get at looking like you do a certain kind of thing or at looking like you are making a certain kind of thing, um, it's, it's absolutely no solution for being able to produce that thing. You know, I, it's, it's the funny thing. Um, who talked about this? Oh, Natalie Goldberg says, you know, she thinks that a reason a lot of writers are alcoholics are not because they're writers, but because when they're writers that aren't writing, um, they get depressed and, and drink. Like William Faulkner, who is this unfortunately terrible raging alcoholic, he got a lot accomplished, um, but he didn't drink at all when he was writing. Hmm. It was later on. And the same kind of backwards thinking that says, well, maybe I just need to go get a handle at Maker's Mark in order you know, to make Absalom Absalom. Would, would, would certainly be an anti-pattern in that case. But it also gets you dug in deeper into this gross misconception that all of those appearances uh, that you've observed are, are, are really anything more than like a, the Western set, you know, in a Hollywood movie. It's just a whole bunch of front and there's nothing behind there. And, and I, I think that's a, that's a self-regenerating problem. And it's, it's a self-regenerating like anti-pattern. That when we don't, when we don't take that step back and look at, you know, um, why the stuckness started, then I think it's almost impossible to get, to get truly fundamentally unstuck. So as far as, the, uh, some of the specifics of this, um, we should talk about something besides writing. I mean, that's kind of lame to always talk about writing. Well, you know, but writing I think is just a, a euphemism for whatever it is that somebody likes doing that's cerebral or whatever they have to do for their job that's sort of cerebral that, that involves creating things. I mean, writing, uh, coding, and I, I feel like they, they're both creative and they, they both take the same place in your mind. Does it really matter whether you're typing words in something or whether you're typing code or whether you're creating something in Illustrator or whatever kids use today? It, it, I think there's a lot of similarities, but I mean... How different about- is it? Well, it's a good question because if you think about uh, the the programming example, is interesting because uh, you know most people, most engineers would not make a bridge recreationally. I mean, setting aside that it, there's a lot of planning and it's I very like costly. By, by the way, Merlin, I like that you came to uh, why the stuckness started, which is what I was saying. Why, why do you get stuck? Is that you asking that question or, yeah. or are you complimenting? No, I'm not, both. Well, I want to go to that. I don't, I don't want to leave that there. I don't want to leave that no, on the no, table. No, no, Well, um, okay. I, I think the stuckness starts in part. And the reason I made, make that stupid engineering reference is that 
I'm just go straight back to this again, some of this process stuff around things like Don Murray and his advice. But um, the reason I say that, like, you wouldn't just go build a bridge for fun is that that is very much about a certain product. Like, there's a spec for this thing, and it needs to meet these criteria. And we have business goals for why we're doing this and a budget, right? And, and you know, I, I don't doubt that making a bridge could be really fun on some level. Um, there's a lot of steps that you have to take in a certain order to do that. And, you know, it's probably one reason you don't get a lot of bridge builder guy block. Because, you know, there's a big team that has to do that. There's a bunch yeah. of stuff that's got to get made. It's this, it's this um, more chaotic, unformed nature of artistic stuff that makes it complicated. And, you know, who, who first said this? I don't even remember. It wasn't, I don't know if it was even Brooks or who said it, but, you know, soft, making software is not like building a bridge, or at least it shouldn't be. So one step back from the making a giant metal thing that cars drive on, I mean, setting, I mean, like you can tell me, but like when you're making a program um, or even just any piece of functionality, you have a pretty good idea of like what it should do when it's done. Right? Otherwise, you know, I mean, do you, do you just sit around and start making classes for fun? There's no, some, you've, you've there's got, a problem you've got, you're solving. Yeah, you've got a, a spec document. Right. Like in the old school days, you'd have the brick, right? You have this big block of documentation and then, you know, there's been these great books. There's the, uh, again, the Steve O'Donnell, like his books are so great about, you know, talking about this process. But even then, that's still, even though it is very much not like building a bridge, it is very much, I think, about a certain kind of creating something functional where you'll know if it works or not. And you can be on that route to making a, a program, or a application, whatever, like a bookmarklet, whatever. Like you can be extremely creative, A, you have to be, um, and B, it may turn into something different than where it started especially if you're on your own, right? Like you may go, oh, I just realized that this is really similar to this other thing I did and I can use this framework to make this easier. And it's very creative and you're iterating in a way where you don't even think about it. But it's not like you sit down in TextMate and just start typing, typing a class. Hmm, what hmm. should I make? Hmm. Like what should, you know what I mean? You don't, that's not the way that works. It's not just, it's, I don't, I'm guessing, I'm not a developer, but it seems like it's not fun to just go explore like that. I mean, it could be for like a hello world, but if you're somebody who's a really serious developer, unless you're learning a new language or trying to get comfortable in a new, you know, text editor or something, I mean, it doesn't seem like you're just going to start typing stuff and, and reloading to see if the page worked. Like you're going to go, well, I'm going to try and go make this one kind of thing. Like it could be something as simple as I'm going to go try and fix it so that Merlin can't break my link thing anymore. Mm. Oh, it's not like escaping spaces or something like that, but it's right. got a functional component. Well, why the ranting? Well, if you try to do that with a creative project, unless that really, really works for you, that is so damning to your project. Like, what if you treated your project like a bridge? Well, maybe you could. If you've written a whole bunch of books, maybe you can treat it like, like a bridge. If you have made a whole bunch of like, uh, if you've had gallery shows, certainly huge numbers of steps to take there. But is it really something where your entire process of how you go from zero to having something could be possibly that well-defined? Well, no. I mean, right? I mean, it seems idiotic to say that. Uh, program, right? Like, I want to make this program. I know it wants to do this thing. Well, yes, it's creative, but you know, you would never, you would never sit down for the first time, you know, uh, set up a rails project and, and then just go, I wonder what this is going to be about. Especially if you've never coded before, like you would never sit there and go, Hmm, well I hit that button and made all these folders. And now, uh, what, what is it I'm making? 
Well, I mean, you could do that. There's probably a lot of people that do that, but then you're not really a developer. You're a guy who's playing with those tools. And yet how, you know, when we try to make something artistically, whether that's a short story or a Tumblr post or a face, Facebook thing or a, a toot or an anything, um, isn't, isn't, isn't there a case to be made? Like some of the crappiest stuff I've ever written is where I tried too much to make it a bridge or I tried too much to make it a Rails program. Because if I tried too hard to focus very heavily on the product, mm-hmm. it's just death creatively, at least for me. I, I don't know if that makes sense. But if I said, let's, let's, make, it, let's make it really simple. Like if I sat down, I, I might be able to have success saying, oh, I want to make a funny toot about John Syracuse being picky. That, you know, but that's, not, that's a pretty short, small project. That's pretty manageable. Yeah. But if I sat down and did that whole thing with uh, like writing the next great Gatsby, well, man, there are a lot of steps between blank page and next great Gatsby and like a million places in between that that could fall apart. And the, so this, the crux of this very, very long point is that there's a huge difference between the product and the, and, the, and the process. And a lot of times when people say that they want to write or they say they want to make anything, people say they want to be a photographer. Photography might even be a better example because in photography, you certainly have the product of a photograph, whether that's in your hand or on Flickr or wherever. But like in order to be a good photographer, don't you have to really, really, really love the process of taking photos? It, Don't you think it would only it would stand to reason? It would be so difficult to not even just get great at taking photos, but it it would get it would be hard to even snap the little button enough times if you didn't fundamentally enjoy elements of that. If you didn't like learning the settings, right? Like I always say, you know, like Chris Glass taught me, start with P, you know, then try AV, and like move out in these little circles. But I didn't start out going like I want to like uh, I want to be Ansel. Ad- I want to take I want to make the next version of this Ansel Adams thing, or I want to make this Heather Champ photo, or whatever. I think you can have a fairly general goal of like I want to make something cool. But no matter how much you define what that cool thing's going to look like, it's all just BS if you don't love the process of getting to there. For for a, a primary reason of uh, well, it's just going to be really hard to do every day, right? If you say I, uh, I, I'm a photographer, but what you really mean is I want to be popular on Flickr, that's really different from <laughs> I just like hitting this button a lot and then going into uh, Lightroom or whatever. And if that sounds like a subtle distinction, I, I, I don't know what to say, but that's, that's, that is the fundamental distinction between the product and the process part. Like, and, and if you work at the process part long enough, and by process, I mean snapping the lens, I mean moving the hand, um, then I think... I can't guarantee that the products will get better, but even if you just accept on, on, uh, on spec <laughs> that that notion might make sense, I think that helps you get extremely unstuck because why are you stuck? Well, you might be stuck because you're so fixated on what this product or result should be that you've lost track of what parts of the process could be going wrong or fundamentally like that you may just not enjoy that process. And again, this is something Scott Birkin has talked about in some really good blog posts, but you know, if, if you're a writer or you're, you're writing something um, and it's, it's hard, well, maybe you don't really want to write. If, you know what I mean? If you really are more into buying lenses than hitting that button, then that's, that's really a different kind of thing. And, yeah. and, to, and, and again, that's why I say the, the asking the right question part is important. Um, I mean, everybody likes the idea of having a cool kid, but the process part of that is really complicated. Because for that kid to be cool, you've got to do so much annoying stuff. That's just not even really all that fun. I mean, some of it's fun. You know, doofenshmirtz and stuff is fun. But like saying no when they're tired 
is like, it, it, it's hard to do. Yeah. It's not, it's not fun. And I, it took me a while to realize that, you know, when I would meet people who, at least in my opinion, were heavily obsessed with the product part of, uh, of parenting. And then like, how do I engineer this particular kind of outcome? And I felt like I was never very successful at that. And then I, I got to like, not that I never, not that I didn't like it, but I, I've learned to enjoy parent stuff a lot more by seeing it as a process. And if I learn to love that process, then I'm going to be much more sympathetic to creating a good product. Yeah. Right. So let, let, let her figure out how to become neurotic in a way that she can live with rather than me, you know, trying to make a, make her into a bridge. I, um, we should wrap this up, but, uh, well, no, no, I, I want to, I want to provide something uh, cogent here, but because I think the stuck, the stuck thing is, um, it's more than just merely annoying. Like if you feel really stuck on a project or, or, or an idea, I mean, like I've been trying to remember this one word for like a week and it's driving me crazy. Like every minute I'm not doing something, this is how insane I am. It comes back to me that I can't remember this word and it makes me crazy and it becomes like a distraction. That, 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 that shouldn't be like, I'm theoretically a grown man. Like that's a very silly thing. But if you feel stuck um, on a project or you feel like you're not getting, if you're not living up to your own potential at something, you're not producing the kind of thing you want to produce. Um, then that's going to become a really, really, really big distraction. And the worst thing about that kind of a distraction, I'll just tell you firsthand, I can promise you is that when you start banning yourself from doing cool stuff because you're supposed to feel bad, about this thing over here that you're stuck on. Like there's things we got to do in life for sure. But you also, I think you also have to be somewhat open-minded about taking a step back and, and, uh, and deciding like how much, if it's really important to you to make that particular product, well then what about the process should change? And so for the writing stuff, I mean, yeah, it helps to read books and it, and it helps to practice. I think it does help to do the, the writing everyday stuff. But, you know, that crack I made about uh, poetry and verse, I think is really true. I mean, I, I wonder how many writers could be really, really good writers if they just tried doing something slightly different or if they tried, uh, you know, writing as a persona or, or just, just trying some little hook, some little MacGuffin, not 10 hooks, but like one hook to try it, you know, try writing like, uh, like Buster's site, right? 758 words a day. You know, and if, the, if, if you're, if what you're trying to write, it doesn't feel like it's turning into the great Gatsby, well then ask yourself what it should be turning into. Maybe there's something different in there. Everybody who writes a lot will tell you how often you throw out the lead, you throw out the first paragraph, you throw out the first page, you throw out everything but this one thing, right? One reason Gruber's so great at what he does is you have to imagine how much he mentally throws out of everything that he writes. That's what makes him such an economical writer. Um... And then, uh, what, I guess we should wrap this up. But then the other thing is like, I think the time away part is so important. If you're feeling stuck about something and you know, the sick part is like the more late it is and the more behind you feel or the more bad you feel about it, the more you want to double down and get more stressed out about it. And I, in my experience, that's just about the worst thing in the world you can do. If that works for you, then you don't have a problem. But I think for most people, it becomes a, a secondary problem that eclipses the original problem. This is not complicated, guys. You're typing. We're all just typing. We're sitting in air-conditioned rooms in comfortable chairs, moving our fingers. Out of that comes arguments. Out of that comes love affairs. Out of that comes the occasional short story or song. But really, ultimately, we're all just typing. And, and you know, if you can't learn to enjoy the kind of typing that you're doing, then you're probably always going to feel stuck. So I think it helps to ask if maybe a different kind of typing is in order. Also, you learned a new, new, uh, new word today, Sestina.
Sestina. Sestina. Sestina. Black letter. <sighs> Can we button this up? I think we should. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, you, did you want to help you? Let me ask you a question. Can I help you unstick anything? Don't overthink it. No. Oh, okay. All right. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. <laughs>